Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel Podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Stratton. So the last month or so, we've been talking about the love of God. We've been saying this, this is the love of God and just exploring what that means. And, and um, last week, we talked about how the love of God is transformational. It will transform you. And this week, we're, this week we're talking about how really the love of God, it doesn't end the love of God doesn't end. It, it never ends. It will never fail you. And uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, um, it is on page 944. So if you're using one of the Bibles here at church, it's 944. And um, in chapter 8 and other places in the scriptures, the love of God is described as a father or a mother that has adopted, adopted their son or daughter. So the love of God is like a father, it's like a mother in the sense of that commitment, in the sense of that love, but it's, it's, it's a little bit different. It's more like an, an adoption. And in fact, we see in um, Romans chapter 8, if you look there at verse uh, 15, Paul explains the love of God like this. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So the spirit himself has adopted you. It's because of the spirit he signed you and adopted you. And we cry through that spirit, Abba, or Daddy, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness, in verse 16, with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. Friends, The love of God is like a father, a good father, who loves his son or daughter whom he has adopted. We are all adopted sons and daughters of Christ. So let me me clarify this for a little bit because I hope we are all sons and daughters. The Bible says that there is now 
no condemnation, the first verse in chapter 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not everyone is an adopted son or daughter of God. We aren't all children of God. Many of us haven't yet put our faith in Christ and, and we haven't walked into that covenant, that adoption relationship. Now God's standing there saying, come to me. You see, adoption works like this in the scriptures. We get an understanding that we need a, adopted. We need a father. I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm, I'm in need. I come from a family that's messed up. I'm, I need a father. And in that humility, in that reality that we, we see our sin and that we need a savior, if we're willing to reach out to God and ask him to be our father, this is when faith is born. And it's as simple as that. And it's very exciting because when that happens, God reaches down and he grabs you and he creates this special kind of love for you. It's, it's, it's not logical even. It can't even be explained, but for God's elect, he has this great desire for them. And it's as simple as reaching out and recognizing and wanting him. The thief on the cross on the day that Jesus was crucified. They're up hanging on the tree and the thief next to him recognizes his own sin, recognizes that he has fallen short. He recognizes that he needs something. In fact, he has no other option. And he turns the cross to, to, the, to the Jesus, to the Messiah hanging on the cross, and he says, remember me when you go into your kingdom? He doesn't know all the semantics. He doesn't understand all the specifics. He doesn't realize the doctrines of the faith and exactly why Jesus is dying. He hasn't gone through seminary to figure it all out. He just honestly knows he needed a savior. And Jesus was him. And you know what Jesus says when he cries out to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you have me. And you are adopted by my Father. We are his children when we've put our faith and our trust in him. When we're willing to say, I can't do this life on my own. I need a savior. We become a child of God and God wraps us up and he begins to cleanse us and he begins to renew us 
and he begins to make us into his likeness. He adopts us and treats us as his own son or daughter, and he says, here, you have me, and you have everything that I have. You are heirs to the throne of God. This is really good news. But you know what every adopted kid struggles with? Every adopted kid. They struggle with trust. They struggle with trust. They've been beaten up. Every kid that has been adopted has been abandoned. It might be through a death. They've been abandoned because their parents made bad decisions. They've been abandoned or abused because of horrible things that have happened to them and they had to be taken out. Every kid, the process of adoption itself is abusive because of the trauma that happens just coming out. And so they feel this and they fear because of this and they know, they know that they've been abandoned and this affects all the way that they see things, all the way that they feel things. And so they wonder over and over again and they fight sometimes with their parents and they say things like, there's no way that they love me. Everybody else has abandoned me. It's only a matter of time before they will too. They say things like, you know, everybody else is just taking advantage of me. The only real reason you want me is because you want something from me. You get an advantage you're taking advantage of me. And so they lash out oftentimes. They can't see the love past the hurt, past the pain. They don't even think that they themselves deserve to be loved. How could anybody else love me? I don't deserve to be loved. Did you see where I came from? I wasn't just a part of that. I participated in that. And I carried my own darkness and sin. You don't love me. I don't deserve to be loved. I'm not lovable. And this leads them to specific actions constantly trying to grab control. They try to control everything. In fact, oftentimes they burn the relationships just in case they might have been burned in the future. They might be burned in the future. Because when they do that, then they can control it. They make decisions and they fight back based on controlling of their situations. I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody else. And so they live their lives on their own many of times. And we are the same way. We've all been adopted. We've all come out of darkness and sin and hurt and abandonment. We have a history of things that has been passed down from generation to generation in each one of our families. Every single one of us 
feels the pressure and the weight of the sin of this world and it affects the way we see things and even though we've put our trust in Jesus Christ and he's constantly trying to pull us up and bring us into a relationship with him, we push back and we want to control our situations. We want to control our lives. We want to control the way that he relates to us. And that is why That is why this whole chapter in Romans 8 exists, because Paul knows this. He feels this in his own life, every day wrestling with his own faith. And so he rehearses this truth. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. Not only does God love you, he wants a relationship with you. He he doesn't just want to take you out to coffee and spend some time with you, maybe get together and go watch a movie. He says, you are my daughter. You are my son. What I have is yours. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to protect you. I love you. And I want a relationship with you. If we can grasp that, it changes everything. It changes our perspective to the world around us and why we're here and what we're going through. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. Can we say that together? God loves me and wants a relationship with me. Say it with me. God loves me and wants a relationship with me. It's 10.30. You can't say it's too early in the morning. Come on. God loves me and wants a relationship with me. This, we've got to let this soak in. Because when we do, when we do recognize that who loves us and who has justified us, it changes the way that we react. We can let go. We don't got to control it all. We can trust the love of Jesus Christ. And it's going to mean some significant things. And that's what this passage is about. So I want to read it and then just pray over it. Let's read it. Starting in verse 31. We're going to We're going to do the latter half. We're going to read 31 through the end of the chapter here. It says this. So what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come nor powers nor heights or depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Holy Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you so much that your word reveals to us in this beautiful love letter of how deep and how far your love actually goes, Lord. I pray as we rehearse this today that you love us and you want a relationship with us. Lord, may that just wreck our hearts, Lord, that we may give ourselves even more over to you. Some of us here need to put our faith in you for the first time, Lord God. We need to step out in faith and trust you, Lord. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us with our unbelief. And Holy Father, I pray Lord, that you would speak through me. I know that I am inadequate, Lord. We're asking for your Holy Spirit to teach us, Lord, that none of us would leave here unchanged. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. What a powerful truth, right? The Lord God loves us, right? And you see this, just, I'm gonna, I want to rip through this kind of line by line and, and just rehearse this together because I think it's what we need right now, especially with some of the circumstances that many of us are going through. Starting in verse 31 there, he says, what, what do we say then, right? How do we talk about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things. Paul is explaining the nature of the adoption. He's saying, I've paid for it. There is no doubt that you are mine. He's saying here, no one can say that you're not mine. Nobody can come against you. There, nobody can, can say that, that, that I don't love you. I've paid for it. Sign, seal, delivered, I'm yours. You know that. <laughs> he says, I didn't even spare my own son. You better believe that you're my child. You don't believe that I love you? Look at what I did for you. Why in the world would I keep chasing after you? I love you. I want a relationship with you. You've got to believe that. I will graciously give you all things. Nothing can stop that. Nothing can break that. This cannot change. Who should bring a charge, verse 33? Who should bring a charge against God's elect? And, and oftentimes the church is called God's elect. God honestly pursued us before we even knew him, before we were even born. He sees us and he pulls us out. He, he, he has this relentless love for us and he justifies us. Who could possibly condemn us? The adversary oftentimes whispers in your ear, Satan says lies to you. God doesn't really love you. He doesn't really want a relationship with you. God really isn't trustworthy. You start to believe these certain things. And Paul's saying here, who could possibly say stuff like that? Who are they? The judge and the jury is Jesus Christ. 
Look with me. It says Christ Jesus is the one who died. He's the one who made the payment. More than that, he raised from the grave. He conquered the sin. He conquered the thing that kept us from him. He destroyed it and has given himself to you. This person, whoever says anything to the contrary, they have no power. Look at where Jesus is. He's at the right hand of God. He intercedes for us. This is an echo of Psalm uh, 110, verses 1. It says, so the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. The word is this messianic prediction. It's a reference to Jesus Christ. And the Jews saw that. They, they celebrated this verse of the coming Messiah. And the early church sang about this over and over again. Jesus at the right hand of the Father. He is equal with God. He's the judge and the jury. Jesus is. Jesus is the great Savior because he has supremacy over the whole universe. Jesus is God. And he's your advocate. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. No one can say to the contrary, you're not good enough. Because it's Jesus is the one who decides. And he says, I bought you. I love you so much, I gave myself for you. But we're, we're weak, right? We hear this and we still struggle. We think about our circumstances and the difficulties of the world around us. What about these things? Paul goes on. He knows we got to keep rehearsing it in our heads. And he goes on, right? And he says, look at, look at verse 35. Who then should separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress? He's talking about your current circumstances, your pain, your anxiety, the difficulties at work, the troubles in your relationships, the stress in your life, the hurt from the past, should that stuff keep you from the love of Jesus Christ? How about persecution? How about people hurting you or maybe even coming against you simply because of your relationship with God? And Paul saw this all the time. In fact, the majority of the church struggles with this even to this day. I was reading something uh, recently about the persecution of the church in North Korea. There's something like 70,000 people in work camps simply because of discrimination because of their faith. Should that steal you from the love of Jesus Christ? How about famine or nakedness like your resources, right? What if you didn't have food? What if you didn't have, have enough to clothe you? What if you didn't have some of the basic things of life and it gets even more severe, right? What about danger? How about sword? What if you were put to death? Would that steal your love? Would that steal you and separate you from Jesus Christ? I can't help but think about the Apostle Paul writing this. 
I'm not sure how aware he is, but in a short time, he's going to be beheaded. He's going to die by the sword. Did that destroy, separate him from the love of Jesus Christ? And his martyrdom, people looked at that and celebrated Jesus Christ. God used that and took that and turned that. He, he wrote most of the New Testament. Because of this man's ministry, the world was changed. And even at the sword, and he lost his life, did it not bring him even closer to Jesus Christ? Do you see what I'm saying? You're going to go through hardships in this world. It says in verse 36, It is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. But that's not where our hope is. Where our hope is in. Our hope is not in our current circumstances, but in the future. Look at what he says here. Verse 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No. In all these things, we are already victorious. Our current circumstances don't represent the hope that is Jesus Christ. We will be with him. He's already defeated the world. Jesus says this in John 16. He says, guess what? I want you to have peace. But in this world, there will be trouble. If you hear what I'm saying to you right now, you will have peace. But in this world, you will have tribulation. It's like he's talking to, out of both sides of his mouth. But here's what he says next. I have already overcome the world. We're defeated when our hope is in this world and in the things that are temporary. We're destroyed. Our perception robs us of the joy of Jesus Christ when we don't focus on the hope of a future. I don't hope for prosperity of this world. Because that would mean that the future's not as good as today. And this world is broken. It needs redeemed. And so our hope is in the future, not the present. And look what he does. Look what God does to even the troubles and trials that we go through today. Look at 8, Romans 8, 28. Just go up just a little bit. He says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work to the get together for good. You don't suffer in vain. God is using it for his namesake and using it to transform this world. 
But we only get this when we understand. It only changes our perspective when we see that the hope of the future is better than what we have today. In verse 38, he says this, for I am sure, I'm convinced, that neither death nor life that even if all these things that go, could possibly go wrong, troubles, trials, I don't have what I need, even if all these things would bring us, if they were to kill us, I'm still convinced. No angel, Satan himself has no power over you. No ruler, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's controlling the politics. No things in the present or in the future. Our current circumstances, the anxiety of what could possibly be, what could happen to me in my job or my work, what could happen to me if my friends reject me, none of that matters. No powers, no height, nor depth. And if I left anything out, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are mine. I am your father. And I love you. And I want a relationship with you. And there is a great hope and a great future. And in that future, you will have me and everything that is mine. Because I'm going to set this world right. We're in a unique season of grace, my friends. A unique season where God is saying, come to me. Come to me. I love you. I want a relationship with you. There will be a future that if you trust in me, if you become my son or daughter, you will have a life without sin a life without the hurt and pain that you've seen generation after generation, a life that is not of suffering, a life that is with freedom and joy and peace, a life that is filled with purpose and understanding of who you are and what you were made for. And if we get this, it frees us. This is why he rehearses this over and over again. Because when we get this, God's love is freeing. When we put our hope in him and not in our current circumstances and not in our current relationships, when we put our hope in him and not in our current resources or in our jobs or in our schoolwork or in whatever else we put our hope in, it frees us to be extraordinary. So this is where I want to go today. What if this love was real? What if God truly loved you and that love never ended? What if nothing could actually separate you from God? What could you dream? What could you be? What could you risk? What could you love? How could you love? Because God is never without you. 
I think we need to ask ourselves that question. I want you to dream big. I want you to risk big. I want you to love big. This is the response to a passage like this. What could you be for the name of Jesus Christ? Could you, maybe, maybe some of you, and I imagine some of us have even entertained this, maybe it's time for us to get into ministry, maybe full-time ministry. What could we do if we didn't have any barriers, if we didn't have any fears, if we trusted God fully? Maybe we could open up our families. Maybe, maybe we could adopt a kid. I think you could be a good dad. I think you could be a good mother. Maybe you could, maybe you could be a part of the mission field. If there wasn't any doubt that God loved you and wants a relationship with you and that would never end, maybe you could step out of some of the comforts that you have here and go on the mission field and, and, and spread the gospel worldwide. Some of us are, are soaked in addiction. We're struggling with the same things over and over again. And we're trying to control our lives. We're trying to hold it all together and it's really just a mess. And we keep recycling to the things that we know are destroying us. We have these cycles that have been passed down from generation to generation. We see our, 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 that we, we're workaholics. We see that we, 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 we have addictions to substances. We're struggling with even anger, anger from the past, anger that's passed down into our kids, the way that we treat our friends. I believe that if our hope is in Christ, it would free us. We don't have to control it. We could actually go out and get help. We could start putting our trust in other people and finding freedom from our addictions. Maybe you're hearing these words today and God's been aching on your heart. You've heard there's, there's needs in kids' ministry. There's needs in, and we need growth group leaders. Our, our church is actually growing, and I have more people than I have leaders to put into groups. If your hope is in Jesus Christ and he's secure, maybe you could step out of faith. And, and even though you may not have it all together, maybe you could do that. What could you dream if God's love is the way we're talking about it this morning? What could you risk? Obviously, all these dreams I've talked about, and I'm just scratching the surface, all these things I've talked about, they take risk, right? Money, status, you're risking your home, you could be risking your relationships. But if our hope is in Jesus and not our current situations, it transforms everything even our sicknesses. What could you love? How could you love? Could you forgive like Jesus forgave you? Could you give yourself and your life like Jesus gave? The Bible says he didn't have a place to hang his head, his lay his head down at night. He would travel from town to town. He, he, he 
cared for people and preached to people. He went to places that people would look at him badly, like, why are you hanging out with those people? And then ultimately, he would sacrifice himself brutally being beaten and then hanging on a tree to forgive us. Could we lay down our our rights like that and love and forgive? Could we open up ourselves to different relationships? Could we open up our family to care for the, the struggling and the marginalized in our world? Yes, but only if you rehearse that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. Only if you go through this and you get the idea of how much God loves you and how far he's come to save you. I've talked uh, from the pulpit here before about um, an individual that died in the, uh, in the um, 9-11 tragedies, um, the Todd Beamer, who was on Flight 93, and, and uh, he's known because he shared his faith in those last moments to people in the plane. And he also um, was part of the rallying cry to take the plane back and save m- many other lives by crash sacrificing themselves instead of, instead of letting it crash into another government building. But what's more interesting for today's discussion is his wife in the aftermath. I believe she understood that her hope was not in her current situation, but in the future of being with Jesus and where her husband ultimately was and is. She says this in World Magazine in August of 2002. She says, My family and I mourn the loss of Todd deeply that day, and we still do. But because we have a hope in the Lord, we know beyond a doubt that one day we will see Todd again. She doesn't wonder Maybe if I'm good enough, I'll get there. She hurts, she says. I hurt. Not for me, but for the people who don't have that same hope. And I pray that they will see something in our family that will encourage them to trust the Lord. She wrote in her memoir, you think you deserve a happy life and you get angry when it it doesn't always happen the way that you think it should. In fact, you are a sinner and you deserve only death. The fact that God has offered you hope of eternal life, it's amazing. And you should be overwhelmed with joy and gratitude. In the midst of the sadness and the the sacrifice of her husband, she could have got completely consumed by the situation around her. She could have even abandoned her faith, but she didn't because she was sure that Jesus loved her and wanted a relationship with her that never end, it never ended. 
In fact, even in the midst of the turmoil, they, she, they got notoriety, right? Because he had been one who was quoted at, at the rallying cry. And so she actually got, you know, would float around some of the news agencies and things like that and be on TV some back when this happened in the early 2000s. And um, many people saw that and their hearts were warmed for her and her family. And so they, they gave money and they'd send the money to her, you know? That money could have transformed their lives. It could have provided for their kids way into the future. And this is what she says. I don't feel comfortable keeping this for ourselves when there were so many unknown families who should share. So many other families who, these kids are without parents. And so she started the Todd M. Beamer Foundation and is assisting children who lost their parents in the 9-11 calamity. See, she was able to look past the current circumstances. She didn't think, I had to control it. I need to keep this money. I need to change our lives. I need to make this specific situation and this world and this life the best possible that it could be. No, she saw the love of Jesus Christ and she shared it. She saw the love. It freed her up from her own circumstances and, and because of that, she could see the other people that needed help, that needed the love of Jesus Christ. And so she started to give in that scenario. We are only able to do stuff like this when we get it, that God loves us. He wants what's best for us. He's a good, good father. He knows what your future is. His, your, your future is clear and it's secure. It was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And all that God is, all that God has is yours in Christ Jesus. How freeing is that? How could you dream big? Dream big with me. Risk big with me. And love big. Will we pray together? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. Um, The reality is, is that we know, we know that we need a Savior. Lord, we're constantly doubting. We're constantly struggling to trust you. Help us, Father, even in our unbelief, Lord God. Father, help us to let go of control. Help us to be convinced of your love for us, that we may serve you in radical ways, changing, be a part of the redemptive plan here on earth. And so, Lord, I... I ask a blessing on each and every one of us. Lord, develop big dreams in our lives, Lord. Help us to be secure in you enough to risk what it takes. Lord God, may it always be founded in your love that we would look like you. So I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.